All right, all right. How we doing? Today, we are going to be wrapping up our series, Big Mouth, and I would, I would like to emphasize, just as we close out this morning, me and my big mouth, <laughs> because I don't know about you, but I have felt so accountable during this series, watching my mouth, and, and I'm trying to think of something to talk about in our next series that's a lot easier for me to apply, right? I, I, so here's the thing. I have heard a lot of feedback from this series that stuff like, you know, comments like this series is just for me, that kind of thing. And, and I just want to acknowledge as, as we close out this series that guarding our mouth uh, can be a difficult thing for all of us. Amen. <laughs> it can be. In fact, right out of the gate, when we started this series, James, the, the brother of Jesus, gave us the bottom line. And we've talked about this. We've repeated this over and over in this series. And, and this is our last time to look at this together for a while. So here's what he said. And I, and I don't really know if anyone can improve on this. I, I, I don't really know how we could say this any better than, than James put this. His bottom line and our bottom line for this series is really simple. It's we are to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Quick to listen and slow to speak. And I, I hope that stays with us. If you've been with us for this five-week journey, I hope that that kind of sticks in your head for a little while. It's, 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 it's an important thing for us to remember. Now, last week, Pastor, Pastor Derek asked the big question, what if, if you were with us? And I, I was actually out of town for the long weekend, and I was attending church at one of, of our old stomping grounds, the Shop family. Um, North Rock Church is the four-square church um, in Thornton, Colorado, that our district supervisor, Sam Rockwell, planted. Uh, some of you know Sam. Um, I was the worship pastor there when we were in Denver, and I got to watch. This is, this is just a really, just, you know how God blesses. This is, God just blessed me this last week. And I got to watch um, a lady that, that I helped learn how to play piano, play on the worship team last weekend, which was such a blessing. And then on top of that, one of, one of my good, good friends, Diana Von Felt, some of you would know that name as well. Um, she runs the, the kind of the admin office for the district um, down in Denver. She was preaching that morning. So that was a blessing. And then on top of that, um, her daughter, Nisia, um, was on the worship team when I was down there as a worship pastor. And th th as we were transitioning out um, Denver, and they were making that announcement on that last Sunday when we were there, Nisha came up to me and um, she just had this quick conversation with me, but I, re I remember it to this day. She said, Sean, I'm gonna learn how to play the acoustic guitar and I'm gonna lead worship. And I want to do it here at North Rock Church. Well, guess what? Last weekend was the first Sunday that she was up on stage playing guitar and leading worship. And I was just bawling my eyes. You know, I, I was crying. And it was just a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, and so just God blessed me with that last weekend. An opportunity to connect with a lot of people. And, and anyways, it, it, it was a different world down there. Um, some of you can kind of imagine the COVID numbers in Colorado have been different than they, they have been in South Dakota. And so city restrictions are still in place for any kind of, you know, large group gatherings. And we had to pre-register to save a spot um, to attend church so that they didn't go over their occupancy. You know, all the, everybody everywhere has occupancy limits. Masks were required for anybody not on stage for the whole service. But do you know what? With all of that going on, 
man, God was worshiped. You could tell that the people that were there just, were, just couldn't wait to just worship God because he is worthy. So nobody's gonna stop the church from doing what the church is called to do, which is just to give God glory and honor and praise, amen? And so it was a, it was a beautiful, beautiful morning. And, uh, and I know you guys, all that to say, um, I listened to Pastor Derek's message uh, from last week on the way home. And I just want to just take a moment before I jump in too far this morning and just say how much I appreciate Pastor Derek and his wisdom and his giftings to our church family. I mean, really, if anyone was to get the MVP award um, around here during this season, um, it would be Derek Brown. And that's nothing to say about the rest of our amazing staff and volunteers who knock it out of the park every single week. I'm just saying that we were able to transition and go online. I was just having a conversation this morning. We were able to transition and go online with our live stream services immediately because of that guy right there. So can we just say thank you? So, and all that to say, not just because of what you can do, but because of who you are. <laughs> we love you, man. And thank you for your message to us last weekend. That was so good. They're getting ready to go out on a family vacation right after the service. So we send them with our blessings. Um, before that, uh, before all of that, at our, at our worship at the park event, um, if you got to be a part of that service, we had a short devotional message from Luke about the abundance of our heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your heart is full of something, and whatever you fill your heart with, that is what you find yourself intentionally or unintentionally coming out of your mouth. And in the week before that, uh, we looked at the passage where the Apostle Paul gives us a couple of word pictures. He said, let no unwholesome words come out of your mouth. And if you remember from the original language, the Greek language, we decided that we're all going to try to avoid fish mouth because that word unwholesome means like the stench of rotting fish. So we don't want that. Um, we're not going to be that guy. So no distasteful, dishonoring or disrespectful words, because if you're, even if you're not a Christ follower, this is just good advice. This is how you would want people to talk to you. And uh, then he gives us another word picture that I thought uh, was really helpful for me. Um, he said that we should approach every conversation as if it's a construction site and that our words are actually building materials that are a result of our conversations and that when we walk away from conversations and when we walk away from those construction sites, people should be better off. They should be built up not torn down is the language he used. And then he kind of got up in our grill a little bit and the apostle Paul says, hey, I need to get a root of some issues for you. And this is where he talks about, he says, if you're gonna get this right, if we're gonna, if we're gonna change in this area, you must get rid of all bitterness because it's difficult to be a builder if you're bitter. It's difficult to be a builder if you're bitter. And of course, the way you get rid of bitterness, we all know this is forgiveness. And forgiveness we talked about is deciding that someone in the past doesn't owe you. It's deciding I'm going to give someone in the past what they don't deserve so that I can give people around me now what they do deserve. So we're able to gather up our bitterness, our anger, and our wrath and take it to the street and just leave it there. Amen. So all of that builds up to, to what we're talking about today. And the reason that this is all such a big deal, you know this already. Hurt people, what do they do? Hurt people. hurt people, oftentimes they hurt people. Bullied people have a tendency 
to bully people. Neglected sons can become absent fathers if we allow that to happen. Neglected sons can become demanding husbands. Abandoned daughters become suspicious wives. And on and on it goes. And we have the potential of being the hero in our own story because of something that I want to talk to you about today. Um, because every once in a while, and far more than you, you might even think, um, maybe this will be a part of your story. Even though you might not even be able to imagine this being a part of your story. But when you think about your current story. Every once in a while, what goes around comes around. It's part of life, right? And the powerless find themselves in a position of power. And and the, the people who hurt you may someday need you. And how you leverage your words when the people who hurt you need you, how you leverage your words in in those moments says more about you than almost anything else. And I want us to just be ready. So that's where we're going today. Now, if, if you started reading um, your Bible in Genesis, you don't have to read your Bible too, far too long before you run into a guy uh, named Abraham. And that's where our story begins today. God spoke to Abraham and said, I'm going to make you into a family that becomes a nation. And through you, I'm going to bless the entire world. And Abraham and Sarah had to wait a while, um, but they finally had a son named Isaac. Uh, So I'm going to put this this graphic up on the screen just to kind of give you a visual. And then Isaac eventually had two sons, and one of them was named Jacob. So, you know, if you're looking at the the family tree line at this point, this family doesn't look like much of a nation. And in fact, there's not even much of a family tree. But, But then suddenly things pick up steam. Because Jacob had 12 sons. And now anybody that has two or more sons knows that we're getting somewhere now. I mean, I have three sons and it feels like I'm leading the nation sometimes, right? Uh, but anyhow, we're, we're, suddenly we're on the verge of some tribes and, and, and on the verge of maybe, you know, two or three or four generations later, you've got a small nation, especially by ancient standards. So The interesting thing about the story is that the entire promise um, to Abraham, God's goal for for what he wants to do, the whole gospel story, his plan for redemption for the whole world through the centuries, the entire plan would end up hanging by a thread at one person's words. One person's words. Now, we've been talking about our mouth now. This is our fifth week. And so I thought, okay, let's end with this story. Um, In fact, the entire thing, the whole gospel story could have easily fallen apart based on a single sentence from one single person. And that one single person actually was one of Jacob's sons, and his name was Joseph. Now, Joseph was Jacob's favorite son because he was the son of Jacob's uh, favorite wife, Now, he had two wives, and he had a couple other ladies that he had children from. So just briefly, just before we get started, here's a freebie takeaway for today. Men never have a favorite wife. Okay, it will cause problems. And it caused so many problems for Jacob because he he had a favorite wife, and her name was Rachel. And then Rachel gave birth again to a, a boy named Benjamin, but she died in childbirth. And so Jacob was constantly mourning the loss of his favorite wife. And consequently, J- Joseph becomes his favorite son. 
So Benjamin, he's a little young to be a part of the, the story today, but, but Joseph had, for the most part, these, these older brothers, the, all 10 of these older brothers despised him and resented him. And if you grew up in church or if you're Jewish, you know this story. You know, one, one day Jacob says to Joseph, I want you to go and I want you to check on your brothers, which Joseph hated to do. And, and the brothers hated it even more um, because they despised him. But Joseph shows up and the brothers see him coming and think, we've had enough of this. This is getting ridiculous. Um, so they take Joseph, they stripped him out of his robe, which was a special robe that his father had made for him, and they threw him in a pit. Now, it was, it, was an, it, it was an empty pit. It wasn't full of water or anything like that, but it wasn't a pleasant place to be. And um, they decide, you know what? Let's kill him. But before we kill him, let's sit down. Let's, let's have some lunch. So this is where we pick up in the text and where we're going to read the day. The text says, they sat down to eat their meal, and they looked up, and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. And then it says, Judas said to his brothers, when they saw the caravan going by, what will we gain? I mean, what good is it for us if we kill our brother and we just cover up his blood? And they're like, yeah, good point. So he said, after all, he is our brother. And so, you know, all, <laughs> this flood of compassion comes in. After all, he is our brother. And all 10 of the brothers are like, well, yeah, he is our brother. And then it just exits right out again. He says, they say, he is our own flesh and blood. So they pull him out of the pit. They pull him out of the pit. And of course, he's terrified. I mean, just absolutely terrified. And, and he doesn't know what's going to happen. And, and then he sees these strangers. And they're talking um, different foreign languages, plural. And they tie him by his hands. And they sell him, and they, the, the brothers sell their own brother into slavery. Now, now, Joseph, at this point, I want you to remember this, is about 17 years old. He's a teenager. 17 years old in this store, and he's being sold to slave traders. And he doesn't know who he will end up with. He doesn't know for sure what he'll be purchased for. And so the text continues. We follow along. It says, now Joseph had been taken from, uh, down to Egypt, and Potiphar... An Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. And, and then perhaps the strangest part of this story, in fact, this is repeated several times throughout. It's kind of a theme in this story. You'll see this. Um, this and this story is several chapters long. We're just kind of doing the Cliff Notes version this morning. In the midst of all this chaos, the author tells them, the Lord was with Joseph. And then it says, so that he prospered. The Lord was with him. And we think, this is, this is the way we think when we hear this story. If we just kind of remove ourselves, you know, I've, several of us have heard this story several times, but a lot of us, we're hearing this story for the first time, we'll think, well, no, if the Lord is with Joseph, Joseph would be home with Jacob, and it would be the 10 brothers that would be sold into slavery, <laughs> right? Because Joseph hadn't done anything wrong. And, and the wicked brothers are getting by with something horrible. Well, Joseph is a very talented person. And before long, after a few years, Joseph is managing Potiphar's household. And Potiphar wasn't the only person to notice Joseph. So did uh, Potiphar's wife. She noticed him. And she comes to him and says, slave, because that's what he is. He's a slave. She says, slave, I require your presence. I require you to sleep with me. And this isn't to ask. This is, I'm commanding you. I own you, and slave, I want you, young man, to sleep with me. That's, that's kind of how the language reads in the text. And for the first time, perhaps in her whole life, she gets a no from Joseph. 
uh, for the answer. And the, and the reason Joseph gave in the text is amazing. The first reason was, you know, look, your husband has given me like all of this stuff. He's put everything he owns in my charge. And he says, so for me uh, to, to, to go against him, how could I do this? But then the very next statement that he says is amazing. He says, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And so this goes on day after day. She's coming to him and he's like, no, 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 no. No, no, I'm not going to do it. And finally, she had enough, and she accuses Joseph of trying to rape her. Now, when Potiphar finds out, he was, he was kind of a fan of Joseph, but he has no options. So as Joseph's master, Potiphar, he, he, he ends up putting him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And, and then again, the author brings this back into the story, brings this back into the theme. He says, but while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. To which we say, again, no. See, if the Lord was with you, you're not in the prison. She's in the prison, right? Aren't good things supposed to happen to good people and bad things supposed to happen to bad people? And if you're faithful, isn't it all supposed to work out? This is what the text says. God showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Now, Joseph, if you know the story, Joseph eventually becomes the administrative assistant to the warden. He's kind of running the whole prison. He has these extraordinary administrative skills and that kind of lifts him up on the platform um, uh, to, to, you know, to, to love God and serve others. And so, and as the story goes, Potiphar's butler and his baker... Uh, fall out of favor with the Pharaoh and Pharaoh has them thrown into the same prison. And of course, uh, they meet Joseph and time goes by again, years go by. And, and one day, the text tells us, it's kind of funny, but one day they wake up and they see Joseph and Joseph can tell that they're down. And Joseph says to them, hey, I can tell something's going on. What's going on? And they both said, well, we had these dreams and these dreams were so vivid. They were so vivid and they're so real and it, it just feels like they mean something. And we've talked about it and we just don't know what these dreams mean. And Joseph says, you know, Holy Spirit's talking to him and, and Holy Spirit says, I can, I can tell you what those dreams meant. And so Joseph says, well, give me a shot. In the past, I've been able to interpret dreams. Well, maybe we can do it for you. And so uh, they tell Joseph their dreams. And first the butler goes, well, I had this dream. He shares the story and Joseph listens to the dream and he says, well, I've got some good news. In three days, it's Pharaoh's birthday and on his birthday, he's gonna lift up your head and he's gonna restore you as his personal butler and wine taster. And then Joseph says this and it's so honest. Um, you know, it, he just says, but when you're free, please tell him about me. I was kidnapped. I don't deserve to be here. I was taken from my hometown. I didn't do anything wrong. I, I, I want someone on the outside to know I'm here and to get me out of here. And so, of course, you know, the butler in the situation right now, he's thinking, if this dream comes true and I'm restored, of course I'll remember you, right? That's what's going on. Of course I'll remember you. Well, the baker's listening to all of this. He's listening in on the conversation. He's like, well, that's good news. What about me? So he tells his dreams to Joseph and Joseph pauses. And then he says, well, your head will be lifted up too, off your body, unfortunately, but sure enough, three days later, one of them, the baker, is beheaded and he's impaled and the butler is restored. Now put yourself, if you can, it's difficult for us to think about this, but imagine, imagine you're Joseph and a day goes by and Joseph is, is sitting in the prison cell and he's thinking, maybe this is the day. Surely, surely the butler is gonna say something on the outside. You're not gonna believe this. I met this guy. He told me everything that I dreamed. He predicted this very event. Um, he predicted that I would come out on the third day and it all happened. And then two days go by. 
and then three days, and then a week, and then a month. And the text tells us that the butler forgot all about Joseph. And for some of us, that's our story right now. I feel forgotten. And, and a year goes by, and another year goes by, and another year goes by. And, and for all Joseph knows, you know, just put yourself in that scenario. For all Joseph knows, this is his lot in life for the rest of his life. But day after day and after day, he continues to live. It says this several times in the story. He continues to live as if God was with him because he was. He continues to live as if God was with him. He's walking in his purpose, which we know and he knew was to know God and to make him known. Doing everything that he did with excellence, which gave him a platform. Now think about this. And we get to this point in the story now. Joseph is 30 years old. He was 17 when he was sold into slavery. 13 years later, 30 years old. And now Pharaoh has a series of dreams. And he was so disturbed by these dreams because they were so vivid and they were so real. And he thought, you know, there there must be something to them. It sounds familiar, right? Sounds familiar, like a familiar part of the story. Well, he calls his court magicians. He calls his, his court counselors, all the wise men, you know, in the kingdom or the nation. And he shares his, his dreams. But nobody can come up with an interpretation for these dreams that satisfies him. Nothing that, uh, you know, is any good. So, but then the butler is sitting in a room. And he's overhearing the conversation. And he remembers and, you know, I, I can just imagine this conversation when the butler comes up to Pharaoh. You know, <laughs> Pharaoh, do you remember um, a few years ago, we had that little, you know, it wasn't that big, but you did have me, I hate to even bring it up, but you did have me thrown into the dungeon. <laughs> and, you know, it was just a very short time. It wasn't a big deal. But anyway, I was there and I met a Hebrew slave and he listened to my dream and he told me what would happen based on my dream. And sure enough, it happened. And here's what the text says. It says, so Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon where uh, when he had shaved, because he was a mess, right? He'd been in there for a long time. And when he had changed his clothes, because he smelled like dungeon, he'd been in there a long time, he came before Pharaoh. And this is what it says. So Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you could interpret it. Now, What happens next is perhaps the most courageous phrase, the most courageous statement uttered by anyone anywhere in all of history. Now, the reason I say that is because when when Joseph comes up and he's talking and responds here, this is to the most powerful man on the planet right now. And so he asks him and he says, can you interpret it? And this is his answer. He says, I cannot. I can't do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So, you know, Pharaoh, Pharaoh was considered to be a god. That was like, I mean, he was, he was God to many in the culture. And so basically Joseph was saying, you know, you're a little G God, but hey, I have a big G God that can answer this for you. <laughs> and um, so Pharaoh could have been easily offended. Everybody in that courtroom could have been easily offended. You know, go and get the steak ready. This is the end of the day for, for Joseph. But Pharaoh was like, you know what? I want somebody to tell me what this dream means. So he said, here's the dream. And he explains it. It is actually a sequence of dreams. And he explains it to Joseph. And Joseph pauses. And Joseph explains to Pharaoh what the dreams mean. Here's what the dreams meant. 
He said, Pharaoh, the reason that you had the sequence of dreams that you had is because God is establishing the fact that something big is about to happen. Uh, Egypt is going to experience seven extraordinary years of harvest. Uh, there's going to be so much grain that you're, people are going to be just swimming in grain. People from all over the world are going to come here and purchase your grain. It's, it's going to kill the economy probably because the place is going to be, you know, the prices are going to be so low. There's going to be so much grain. But after those seven years, there's going to be a famine. And the famine is going to be so bad that just a short time into the famine, everybody uh, will have forgotten about all of the goodness, all the abundance and all the, all the good. It's going to be a really, really, really bad. And so seven years of prosperity... Seven years of famine. At which point, <laughs> I'm looking at the story, I think Joseph probably should have stopped talking. But then Joseph does the unthinkable and Joseph begins to give Pharaoh advice. I mean, think of it again. <laughs> 13 years in a dungeon. He just cleaned up. He's still got the stench probably hanging on him from the dungeon. And he starts to give Pharaoh, the most powerful person on the planet, you know, some advice. I mean, everybody in the room is probably going, <gasps> you know, their breath is taken away. They're either that or they're moaning under their breath. I mean, this kid still has the smell on him from the dungeon. And so he leans in, and this is what he says to Pharaoh. This took some guts. Pharaoh, here's what you need to do. <laughs> here's what you need to do, Pharaoh. And he kept on going. He says, during the years of plenty, you need to designate certain cities in the, count, uh, the country as granary or grain cities. Um, you need to build extraordinarily large silos. So this, this isn't a, a small task, right? You need to build these huge, um, humongous silos and you need to tax the people 20% of all the grains for the next seven years and you collect 20% of all that grain. And here's the kicker. He says, you are to do this, Pharaoh, in your name. The people watching are like, okay, should we just kick him out now, <laughs> right? The next part is good, though. He says, then after the seven years, when the famine hits and the rain stops and the crops die and the locusts come, then at the right time, somebody needs to pay attention. You're going to open up the grain silos, you know, in the cities where all the stores of grain are and, and, and don't give it away. I want you to sell it to the people. Now, Pharaoh's like, okay, I see where this is going. He's, he's liking this now. And he says, keep going. And Joseph says, well, sell it to the people. And this is going to be such a big, complicated thing. You're going to need to find somebody to put in charge of this because somebody cannot take their eye off of this ball for the next seven years. Somebody needs to wake up every single day for the next seven years working on this and then managing it on the back end. Dead silence in the room, right? Mic drop. <laughs> this is what it says in the text. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all of his officials. Because by the end of the story, and we don't have time to go into details, this is chapters if you, if you read the whole story, but by the end of the story, Pharaoh personally owned the entire nation. Because by the end of the famine, it was so severe that people began trading their cattle, their land, their slaves for grain, and guess who owned it all in the end? Pharaoh. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh baby. <laughs> different Pharaoh, different story. But... It says, so Pharaoh asked him, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom uh, is the, the spirit of God? Now, when Pharaoh asked a question and he kind of telegraphs it to the room, what he wants the answer to be to everybody in the courtroom, you want to give him the answer that he wants. Because again, he, he was thought of as a God. Then it says this, it says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all of this known to you, not only what's going to happen, but what we should do about it, 
there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace. He's going to be in charge of the palace. All my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. And he makes Joseph the prime minister of Egypt. Now Joseph gets to work. We know he's efficient. He's trained in Potiphar's household. He didn't know he was training. Um, And he gets to work. And he builds the storehouses and he chooses the cities, the granaries, and he organizes the whole thing. And for seven years, they tax the grain, the seven years in, and the rain ceases and things get really bad. And it was so bad, everybody forgot, just as was predicted. They forgot about all the good years. And at the right time, when the time is right, they began to sell the grain. And people spent all their money on the grain and they traded their cattle. And this famine reached outside even the borders of Egypt all the way north to where Joseph's family lived and they began to feel the effects of it. And so the text says, when Jacob, who's, remember, Joseph's father, learned that there was grain in Egypt, and this is kind of hilarious, this is what he says. He said to his sons, that the 10 other sons plus Benjamin, why do you just keep looking at each other? You know, I mean, we're starving to death. And, and he continued, I've heard that there is grain in Egypt Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. In other words, why do I even have to bring this up, right? Uh, Come on, guys, we're going to die. You've got to go down there and buy some of this grain. So the boys load up and they head to Egypt and the stage is set. This is what we're all building up to today. The fortunes have been reversed. And it says, now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold the grain to all of its people. And apparently, just imagine this, all of these different cities, the boys showed up in the very city where Joseph just happened to be on that particular day dispensing and overseeing the dispensing of grain. And it says, so when Joseph's brothers arrived, They bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. And as soon as Joseph saw them, he recognized them. Uh, They didn't recognize him, but he pretended to be a stranger. They did not recognize him. And do you know why they did not recognize him? Because he walked like an Egyptian. That's why they didn't recognize Joseph. Because, no, he's 30 years old. He's 30 years old, and the last time they saw him, he was a scrawny little teenager, right, who was terrified. And the last they heard of him was him begging for mercy. And, you know, if, if you're in that situation, you kind of want to remove that from your memory, right? And they just erased all of that from their minds. And now they're in the presence of the second most powerful person on the planet as far as they were concerned. So here's the question. Here's the question that we all have to wrestle with. And here's where I'm coming to. This is what it all builds up to us for today. And as we're wrapping up this series, and some of you are are maybe not even wrestling with this now, but you will in the future. And I want us to be ready. What do you do when you've got the power and your words determine the destiny of your enemy? Your words. What do you do when you've got the power and your words determine the destiny of your enemy. What happens when things turn around? What goes around comes around. What happens when you've got the power in your words to determine the destiny of your enemy? And the answer to that question depends on what you did with your bitterness and your anger. And if you're still dragging it around when this happens, you will be like the people that you don't like. 
And as these brothers were bowing down before Joseph, I'm sure that the things that went through his mind were not pleasant. You know, he's, he's remembering those nights when he was 17 years old, when the Ishmaelites dragged him off, hearing them laughing by the campfire along the way, wondering, where am I going? What's happening to me? Who even knows what happened to him or how he was treated along the way? We don't know that part of the story. The prayers that maybe he felt like weren't answered. He's, he's, he's standing on that auction block, stripped naked with people walking around, checking him out from every angle, deciding if they should purchase him and what he was worth and what he would be good for. At 17 years old, what, the, the lie you know, told by Potiphar's wife when we, he was in that part of the story, just when things were at least kind of sort of getting back into a decent, you know, a life that he could possibly survive in and then being thrown once again into a hole, into a dungeon. And there before him are the men that are responsible for all of that. And they don't recognize him. And the text says, as this whole story escalates, and there's so much detail, months, months again go by. And finally, his brothers uh, all come back to Egypt. They're all back in Egypt, and he gets them in a room. They're all together again, and he has, he has attendants, and his guards are all there in the room because he's the second most powerful man in all of, all of Egypt. They're all in there. And then Joseph does something that's completely kind of freaks everybody out. This has been going on for a while. He's been keeping the secret that, you know, of who he is. And the text said that Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. And suddenly the brothers are alone in the room with this guy who's given them so much attention. And, and, and they just can't figure out why has he singled us out? And Joseph said to his brothers, he had been waiting for this. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. And they weddeth themselves, right? <laughs> that, that's not really in the text. But I'm pretty sure that their bowels release it, right? Because they expected him to do unto them as they had done unto Joseph. With one gesture and just a few words, the next words out of his mouth, there could be 10 stakes in the courtyard, just at the snap of a finger. That's what awaited them. But Joseph said, the only thing he said, this is what he said, is my father still living? That's it. Is my father still alive? And his father had no idea what was happening back home. And of course, this next sentence makes perfect sense. It says his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified in his presence. Wonder why, Right? Because we expect kind of this natural thing to play out, but it didn't. So because, you know, think about it. They were rehearsing in their minds some of the same things that were said and the things that were done and what would probably happen now to them. <laughs> but they did not need to be terrified in his presence because Joseph had lived, remember, as if God was with him during his absence. And he kept bitterness, it says, at bay. He kept bitterness away from him. Remember our verse from Ephesians 4? When we're, when we're back in Ephesians, get rid of all bitterness, wrath, anger. What Joseph could not have known, I, I just want you to catch this. 
I want you to think about this this morning. What, what Joseph could not have known was that God's plan for the ages were kind of dangling in this moment right here <laughs> on the words that he would say, the words that would come out of his mouth, that before him set 10 tribes of the 12 tribes of Israel through whom God would introduce the savior of the world. <laughs> who would do for the world exactly what Joseph ultimately did for his brothers. And what did he do? He forgave them. You want to get rid of bitterness, you got to forgive. He forgave them because he didn't carry around a bag of bitterness and a sack of anger, even though he had every reason in the world to do so. Instead, he has them stand up He embraces all of them. And he says, you're going to go home. You're going to get dad. You're going to get your families. I want you to bring them all back. And I'm going to care for you for the rest of your lives. And he does. Why? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's what we see in Joseph. And and years go by after this point. And then Jacob, their father dies. And the, and the 10 brothers, you know, they've been brought into this, this safe place, but they, they get together and they go, oh, well, wait a minute. This is what Joseph has been waiting for. He got us here. He's been holding us hostage all along. He's just waiting for dad to die. And now he's gone. He's gonna exact his vengeance on us. It, it was just so out of character for Joseph not to. Do you see that in the, in the story? And so his brothers, they're just expecting retaliation, right? They're expecting the bomb to explode. And, when, and so the, his brothers went to Joseph and they, it says, the text says, they came to him and threw themselves down before him and they said, we are your slaves. We sold you into slavery, but if you will spare our lives, if you, are, you will spare our children's lives, if you will spare our, our grandchildren's lives and the lives of our people, we will be your slaves. But Joseph said to them, do not, and this is just so powerful, do not be afraid. And this, this here is the question that you're gonna have to ask yourself at some point in your life. This is, this is the big one. This is where it comes down to. He says, am I in the place of God? Am I the judge? Am I in the place of God? Not am I God, because again, second most powerful person on the planet. But he says, I know that I'm not God, (laughs) right? So listen to this. Just, Just listen, we're almost done. Listen to this. You will never experience the good that comes from the bad unless you recognize that God was with you during the bad. And then refuse to play God when things are good. You will never experience the total good that can come from the bad unless you live during those hard and those tough years as if God is with you. And then you refuse to play God when the things are good. Here's what Joseph says. He says, you intended to harm me, but God's bigger than that. And it may have felt like God was silent, but God wasn't still. It may have seemed like God was far away, but God was working. Even if it didn't feel like it, even if it didn't seem like it. And this is what it says. God intended it for good. This is what Joseph is actually saying. God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. 
So then, don't be afraid. You're not my slaves. I'm, I'm not gonna execute you. Don't be afraid. I'm gonna provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. Hmm. Now here's the thing. One day, maybe one day soon, you may have the power over the person or the persons who took from you, who hurt you, who harmed you, who stole that first marriage or stole your childhood, who stole the opportunity that you had to raise your own children. You don't know, you know what's gonna come around. And in those moments, you will remember, you will rehearse it in your head what they took from you. And you will remember what they did to you. And in that moment, your heavenly father is gonna invite you to remember something else. He's gonna ask you to remember who was with you. And in that moment, you'll have a decision to make. What will you do? What will I do when we've, when I've got the power of my words. Your words determine the destiny of your enemy. And you and I know it. We live in a culture right now that is fire back and fire back as fast as you can. Somebody fires something at me, let me lob a bomb back right at them 10 seconds later or two seconds later. Instead of being quick to listen and slow to speak, we're quick to fire a bomb. <laughs> and so this story today, I thought, was the perfect way to just kind of wrap up and give us a life story, an illustration from the scripture of what to do when our perceived enemy comes at us with fire. Are we going to hold on to bitterness and anger and wrath? Or are we going to take it to the street and leave it on the curb? And act as if God was with us the whole time. Because God will ask us the question, you're going to remember who was with you? And in that moment, what will you do? Your words will determine the destiny of your enemy. So here's the question. Will you pay them back? Because that's what we want to do in our flesh, right? Eye for an eye fist for a fist, will you pay them back or you use the words to pave the way forward? Remember what Paul is telling us. It's a construction site and you are either building somebody up or you're tearing them down. Are you laying the foundation? Are you walking away from that construction site having built that person up and they are better off for the conversation, whether it be on social media or face-to-face? Here's the other thing. Your decision, this is important, will be determined by what you do between now and then. It will be determined by the perspective that you maintain between now and then. And here's the perspective. I'm gonna give you the perspective that I think from scripture that we should come from. I hope that you will take your cue from the one who gave his life for you and not from the one or from the ones who tried to take it from you. And I hope, I pray that you take the lead from the one who is with you and not from the ones who abandoned you and threw you in the pit. And if you do, in that moment, 
you will be like your Father in heaven and you will be free. Would you stand with me as we close this morning? Quick to listen, slow to speak. Father God, we, we thank you for your words to us. We know as your sons and daughters that your words are life. God, your words were a rescue to us. Your words were so freeing, God. You, you've came to, to, to be a rescue for us. And God, I pray that this morning, Lord, we would stop holding on so tightly to things like bitterness and anger and wrath that can turn to poison inside of us and release fire from our mouths. God, I pray that as we just wrap up this time of, of, of this is such an important conversation, Lord, we have so much power in our tongues to build up or to tear down. I pray that your people, God, please give us the grace and the mercy to be life givers with our lips. Even when we have every right in this physical world, in our carnal world, to lob a bomb back, God, I pray that our first response, Lord, that our first response that we would have already taken care of the anger and bitterness, whether this was something that has happened over the years or is something that was just said, you know, 10 seconds ago, I pray that you would help us to let go of all bitterness because we can't be good builders if we're hanging on to bitterness. God, help us to be quick to listen, which means we will be slow to speak because we need some time to think about our words sometimes. Lord, give us the grace. And it's not in our strength. We know that we acknowledge that today. It's through your loving kindness that you draw people unto you. And so Lord, let that be our story too. Through our love, through your love, through your glory, through your light shining in us. May that be what people hear coming from our mouths. In your mighty name we pray, quick to listen and slow to speak. Amen and amen. You can be seated. Pastor Derek is going to close us out this morning. Just a couple minutes. All right. Yeah, let's just spend a couple more minutes here thinking about stuff that's important. Uh, so we're talking about Joseph and his family. And... Uh, Joseph got excited. He was a young man. He felt like God had called him to something. Something big was going to happen in his life. He got excited. He told his brothers about it. They were jealous. You can't understand. These guys were older than him. They were in their 20s and maybe even their 30s. These guys were not like young brothers, like teenagers doing stupid teenager stuff. These were like men. They were like, I don't like my brother. I want to kill him. This is what Joseph was, was experiencing. They sold him into slavery and fast forward, Joseph now is in a place of power and he's standing in front of his brothers and he has the power and the ability and the right to exact revenge. He absolutely could. Like Pastor Sean said before, he could have every one of them executed and nobody would blame him. But instead he chose forgiveness. Instead, he asked them to stand up. 
he embraced them and said, go home, get dad, get your families, bring them back here and I'm gonna care for you for the rest of our lives. And Joseph made good. He did what he said he would do. Why am I bringing up exactly, like I even read, this is Sean's notes. I stole his notes and read you what he already said. Why? Well, the Old Testament is full of things that represent the truths about God. And everything in the Old Testament points towards Jesus. And I believe that, G, that, that the story of Joseph and Joseph's behavior here is 100% the revealing in the Old Testament of the heart of God. Because there was a time when humanity abused Jesus and they beat them, they beat him and they killed him. And now he sits at the right hand of the father with all of the power and all of the prestige and all of the right to exact revenge. But Jesus doesn't, he chose forgiveness. And just like Joseph, Jesus says, get up, Go home, get your families, get your friends, bring them to me, and I'm gonna take care of you for the rest of your lives. You might be uh, listening to this this morning, either either online or in-house, and uh, you know maybe you've never you've been there, you would never call yourself a Christian. You, you've never really followed um, after after Jesus and. You know, maybe today you're kind of, you've kind of come to a point where, where um, understanding who Jesus is is kind of changing your heart and it's kind of changing your life and it's kind of changing your mind and you want to you get it more formally involved. Or maybe you've been a Christian for a while. Maybe you've been coming to church and, uh, you know, I think it's important that we remember our place. I think it's important that we remember who we are. Joseph's brothers dropped to the ground in front of him said, we are your slaves. But Joseph raised them up. He said, you're my brothers, you're my family. I'm gonna take care of you. And Jesus has done the same for us. Our place might be, we might be like, oh Jesus, you are so great and we should be slaves in front of you, but that's not, Jesus doesn't want that. Jesus raises us up. He says, you're my brother, you're my sister. So whether you're, you're, you're looking at Christianity from the outside, you're looking at Jesus from, from outside of a relationship and you're wanting to start a relationship or whether you've, you've been doing this for a while, let's just remember our place today. And whichever of those groups you find yourself in, I would ask you to just pray after me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for raising me up for bringing me to life, for making me your brother or sister. Help me to follow you. Help me to listen. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Amen, amen.